Betches Media presents At Betches, a podcast hosted by Betches co-founders Jordana Abraham, Sammy Sage, and me, Aileen Drexler. We talk about it all from the latest celeb drama to the best movies to TV shows that we're so obsessed with right now. We share all of our thoughts, even the unpopular ones. Welcome to our pop culture group chat. This is going to be just like senior year, except for funner. Hello, and welcome back to the At Betches podcast. I'm Sammy, and today my co-hosts Aileen and Jordana are out. I am joined by a very special guest co-host and close friend of mine, who you know as the host of the Be There in Five podcast. Welcome, Kate Kennedy. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here on such a seismic pop culture week. I know. I can. First of all, I cannot believe that Aileen and Jordana are out. I do need to quickly address that for the audience because it's like, how could they? Um, Aileen has a very sore throat. She can't speak. So it is literally killing her that she won't be able to discuss this. Um, but she is here in spirit. I have maybe some thoughts that she's texted me that I might insert if they if they make sense. And then if you want to hear from Jordana, she was actually on the Mention It All podcast with Dylan. So you can hear her thoughts over there. Dylan has been killing it on the Scandal coverage on the At Bravo by Betches podcast. So be sure to follow that on Instagram. And let's just get into it, Kate. We are... Just to just to give some background, Kate and I talk about pop culture via text all the time. <laughs> and, you know, when when my when Aileen and Jordana were in here, I was like, okay, I need to get into this with, you know, another friend. So Kate, thank you for thank you for having the time to come and, and being here. I mean, it's like I have the time, but my time is utterly consumed. <laughs> I, I like made bagel bites for dinner last night. I was swamped with coverage. I like things keep coming out. I I'm overwhelmed. I people keep saying Bravo fans are over- overstimulated, and they're absolutely right. This has been going on since Friday, and it is now Thursday. The legs this has is crazier than the the even Jen Shaw arrest. I think. Oh yeah, I mean it just we're watching it play out, and part of it is because a there was a new episode last night that we're going to talk about. Lisa was on Watch What Happens Live, and. They, because of how Raquel and Tom are are handling it, it feels like they just keep like misstepping or doing things that aren't like final. So. Right. They're scrambling. Yeah, exactly. So, okay. I'll do a quick headline. Um, Tom Sandoval from Vanderpump Rules was cheating on his long-term girlfriend of nine years, Ariana Maddox, with one of their fellow co-stars, Raquel Levis who was just engaged to James Kennedy. And they say that this has been going on since Coachella of 2022, meaning that this was they were filming with this knowledge and it was hidden, essentially. So now the producers are going back and essentially like re-editing the rest of season 10 to reflect the, the reality, I think. Um, so you watched last night. What did you mm-hmm. what did you think of the episode? It was the timing was so weird that it was an episode where Raquel kind of out of nowhere becomes this like very saucy forward character and her and Ari, I mean, bikini shopping is just a hilarious reality TV trope in general. Um, but <laughs> that scene was particularly grim. Like, you know, the first time, is this going to be the first time I'm mad at Raquel? Like, so eerie. And then Ariana's plotline being about her dog passing. I mean, oh. it was almost the, the the too coincidental of Ariana's despair and Raquel's coming out moment, you know, at that really sad disco. Right. Oh, my God. The really sad disco. And it was like right after the, the scandal broke. So right. we were, I have a feeling that they, there was some re-editing in this. Or, yes. But it's hard to say. It's like, are we just now seeing everything with this differently. I'm sure there was some re-editing. Yeah. Did you go back and watch the first two episodes of the season? Yeah. Um, and then you, you notice Raquel's like, Tom Sandoval taught me about boundaries. And I'm like, oh, my God, well, you were breaking them. This is so weird. Right. What did you – I mean, now looking and seeing how Raquel, like, has no qualms about going for a guy who someone else has expressed interest in – or knowing that they're married, what does it like make you think about about her? As I mean, obviously we all think she she sucks now, but like, does it? It makes me feel that she was kind of playing us all along. When I think about Raquel's 
arc. I mean, listen, she started filming as a senior in college at Sonoma State. She was a sorority girl in pageants. Her entire life was like veneer. It was, I mean, I just think she's been in the pageant circuit a long time, which there's a lot there. And then she's thrust straight into real- the reality TV world, is in a really toxic relationship. And I feel like she's having her return to Saturn, if you will, like kind of a lost quarter life moment. And beyond that, I think what it, I genuinely think that Tom and maybe Ariana thought she was like playing along with it. They were trying to engineer Raquel to have her season, to like have her breakout season, to be a main character, to have some longevity on the show. And I think the fact that the Schwartz plotline seems to be fake kind of speaks to that. And I think she was going out of her way to be snarkier than usual, to go after Oliver. Like, I kind of think that the way she's acting right now is maybe not her. But as Stassi said on her podcast, the problem with this show is like the bad behavior is rewarded with attention, with more money, with full-time cast membership. And I think she's at this vulnerable age where she's getting really caught up in it. So I can't speak to her character, but I do think that, yeah, she can say she's sorry all she wants, but she got caught. She's not sorry. I, that That says a lot. Like this was so calculated and cruel. Yeah, she doesn't really seem sorry to me whatsoever. It Especially when you look at like how she it seems that she's weaponizing the um cloudiness of what happened between she and she, between her and Sheena when Ariana found out about the uh the affair but so Kristen Doty Doughty do how do you Kristen Doty Doty Kristen Doty it's weird i never say her name like aloud um or for i haven't for several years so Kristen Doty got to speak on her podcast she has now filmed for this season, but she is not technically a cast member, so she's able to kind of speak freely on her podcast. And she said that Ariana went through or Ariana, Ariana found the video of Raquel because she had suspicions and she looked at Tom's phone. She also explained what happened between how like Sheena and Raquel found out after they were at the bar after mm-hmm. Watch What Happens Live. And apparently Ariana called Raquel. She was on the phone with her while Sheena was like sitting there. And she knows, like, what are you talking about? And Raquel is like, I'm talking to Ariana about the fact that I had a seven-month affair with Sandoval. And then Sheena, like, tried to grab the phone. I don't – I questioned the black eye thing because one of Sandoval's band members actually shared a photo of Raquel from before that. And it showed mm-hmm. that she had some sort of, like, issue with her eye that, you know, it seems like she already had a black eye or some sort of bruise. So mm-hmm. – the fact that she's now like, it appears trying to use a restraining order against Sheena to get out of the filming reunion, it just doesn't make her seem contrite or anything. As a Bravo fan, I'm so tired of the discourse over black eyes and it right? happened in a mysterious way. But also, yeah, so that was in real life, that was Wednesday night, correct? Yes, last Wednesday. On the restraining order, she doesn't go to urgent care till Saturday. Right. It's It's just like, and then now you have this band member who posts the the black eye from before. You're like, okay, well, she just seems – I get the impression that her parents are heavily involved in this. Agree. And if you went back and you watched their engagement in season nine, her mom seems like a piece of work. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I I was paying attention to the scene with her dad this season, but I haven't gone back and revisited the mom. What did you think about the dad? Because I've now only revisited the mom. Well, I just remember thinking, oh, they're like really close. And he was like really championing her getting away from James. And um, I can totally see her as a person being kind of babied and coddled in the way she acts, to quote Christina Kelly, not to insult babies. (laughs) But um, I feel like. I don't know. It's it's almost like she fucked up so bad. There's no way to save face. So she every two days she's picked a new narrative that will get her empathy. But when it's not true, it doesn't land and it's not going to work. And it, none of it's true. I mean, I don't know the situation with Sheena. Kristen seemed to say like she ran into a brick wall or something, which might have been the cut on her face. And I not mean, the bruise. I don't I don't know like how she got what. But I don't know. It just feels like she isn't doing anything that is appearing sorry. Like she wrote in her statement, like, I have to heal first. It's like, you have to heal. From what? Right. From fucking up Marcel's son's marriage too. It's like, she really. There's really not, she doesn't need to say much. Like we don't need 
the soliloquy is like in the changing story. She just messed up and like that has to be okay. And she's got to deal with the fallout. And I just think how calculated and cruel the whole thing was from the Halloween costumes to the fake Tom Shorts timeline to the necklaces. It's just creepy and wrong. And I think we're all having a hard time digesting it because like things that are criminal, you can compartmentalize, but things that are just character based are hard to digest because you're you're worried you could be blindsided by people in your life in this way. Because like you said in your article, to gain proximity to Ariana with their close friendship, it's really unnerving. This episode of App Betches is brought to you by FrameBridge. Around our office, we have so many colorful framed art prints and photos. It creates such a fun atmosphere and gives our space that unique Betches character. I've been a longtime user of FrameBridge because anytime I want to frame something, custom framing can be so difficult and expensive, and they don't always have the sizes you want online if you want to try to frame something yourself. So then your options are to bring something to an expensive framing store or leave it in your closet collecting dust. But FrameBridge makes it so easy and affordable to get your special artwork and memories in frames so you can spice up your space with ease. Basically, everything in my house has been framed by FrameBridge. We got our wedding photos done immediately by FrameBridge. We've hung a gallery wall. FrameBridge is truly my go-to. They make it so easy to select a frame to see how they would look online. And they send you packaging so that you can send in the thing you want framed so that it won't get ruined. We all know that getting custom frames can be difficult, but FrameBridge is easy and affordable to custom frame just about anything. You can easily order online at FrameBridge.com or visit a retail store if you need some guidance. You can either upload a digital photo for them to print or mail in an item using their free secure prepaid packaging that I mentioned. Then FrameBridge custom frames your piece in their studio using the highest quality materials and ships it to your door in days for free. See why FrameBridge has been trusted to frame over 2 million pieces. Visit framebridge.com or visit a local FrameBridge store to get started and custom frame just about anything. That's framebridge.com. 50 high school senior girls descend on Mobile, Alabama every summer to compete for a massive cash prize. It isn't Survivor. It's one of America's most lucrative scholarship competition for teen girls. It's been around for seven decades. Now you'll hear what took place behind the scenes. From Pineapple Street Studios in Wondery comes the competition. Host Shima Oliai was Nevada's contestant nearly 20 years ago. Now she's returning as a judge to find out what two weeks with 50 of the country's most ambitious teens can tell us about girlhood in America. What happens when the competitor are thrown into the deep end with the best and the brightest? And how does surviving the competition prepare them for everything that comes after? Follow the competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of the competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. It's interesting because Sandoval and uh, Raquel both weaponized proximity to Ariana in different ways. Yeah. He weaponized it by seeming like the good guy in the group. Like he's the one who's like, and that's why I think there's also an interesting uh, conversation of like, did you know Sandoval was sh- a shithead all along or did you like fall for his no, kind of- No, I didn't. Well, let's talk about that because that is a huge piece of this is that, you know, Raquel weaponized her proximity to Ariana to like gain trust that she could be around and dress as her fucking long-term boyfriend without it seeming extremely weird and no one like clocking that. But he weaponized- his closeness to her but because I think she was sort of she's the one that seems like the real cool girl like she could yes. get into it but it was not it was never like it never felt pointless in the way that like Stasi alluded to like you get rewarded for just like bad behavior generally mm-hmm yeah Ariana's always been pretty self-aware outside of the I take sketch comedy very seriously episode <laughs> that was her one outlier where I was like, well, you know, are you okay? Um, I forgot but I thought that. what you said was really interesting how it's almost like, A, I'm so happy she stood her ground and not wanting to get married and not having kids yet. And, you know, all the things Tom wanted that you said Tom used kind of as a halo to be like, aren't I a nice guy for putting up with a person who doesn't want the traditional things I want? And it really makes me angry in that context. And I think that Tom Sandoval I, I was bamboozled because he was he appeared the best behaved out of a group of really terrible guys. Right. And the denominator matters. It totally. And that's why I think that's why I think there's also kind of a chorus of people or, you know, a section of the orchestra that's like, I knew he sucked all along. And those and some of those people are like, Jack's called it. You know, it, it's funny to see them all sort of uh 
try to come up on each other's terrible character. <laughs> totally. And and I think when um so, so Tom, I mean we that, that that's a separate conversation but people saying, you know, you lose him out, you get lose him out, you get him, which is just such bullshit cuz not the same situation with Tom and Kristen. Um and it's also been like 10 years. I feel like that only applies yes. on like a a short timeline. Although maybe I'm wrong with that. It's different. Either way, it just feels different. It just feels different. It wasn't a one-off transgression or an accident. It wasn't a twenty-something toxic yeah. relationship. That it, it, this is a light. And a, this is a partnership. It's effectively a marriage without the paperwork. And I think that uh, you know, I almost think I tricked myself to believe that Kristen and Tom like needed to break up, and Ariana was the one. And making out at the Golden Nugget seems kind of innocuous compared. Again, it's all relative compared to. Jax and hooking up with Kristen while they were watching Drive, you know, when he was with Stassi, making out of the Golden Nugget just didn't really seem like a big deal. But then you're like, oh, Miami girl. And then you're like, oh, he weaseled his way into her cocktail book. Oh, he gaslit her when she said she wasn't having orgasms, said, no, you used to have multiple. He's exhibited this behavior all along that I was just, since it wasn't as bad as other people's, or he kind of was able to mask uh, his, I don't know characteristics better than like jacks oh totally. i just didn't notice he has more self-control than jacks you know some people i think they just are a little more impulsive and yeah. or they're impulsive in different ways like i you know publicly versus like in private apparently another thing that Kristen said in her podcast was that tom sandoval when right after the news broke they were all comforting ariana in their house their mutual shared house he came in and everyone was like silent. And he goes, I know everyone hates me right now. And then Kristen apparently went and said to him, like, you shouldn't be here. And he was like, well, if she's uncomfortable, she can leave. This is both of our houses. Yeah. I didn't get to that part. That's enraging. I know. Like, he doesn't – it doesn't seem that he feels remorse. And it almost has shades of the way that Raquel – spoke at the dinner last night with Katie's mom sitting there, which made me, like, cringe. I, I know you're probably no. someone who's, like, on super extra good behavior around people's parents because I understand that. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, I'm, the fact that you would even, like, she would even think about defending the thought of hooking up with Tom in front of Katie's mom, Tom Schwartz, that is, it just feels like she – there's some there's some sort of, like, empathy chip missing yeah. from them. Yes, I totally agree. Something, it's like, I don't want to insult her intelligence, but like something's not all there. And people almost have used that as a reason for, to excuse her behavior. But I mean, what is she, 27 year old? What, like, she knows what she's doing. She's able to make her own decisions. She can't be, I don't, also, even though I said, I think Tom Schwartz is engineering her storyline, like, or Sandoval, um, you know, she has free will and can make her own choices. I just think that, like, she very artificially inserted herself in the group and is trying to stay on the show, and she doesn't care about these people at all. And it almost seems like the, one of those things with the long-term affairs where they're like, no one can understand our love. Like, yeah. they're so justified in being together that what they left in their wake isn't of concern to them, even though it sounds like Raquel's allegedly ghosting Tom now. that I feel like that sounds like a parent-driven... Yeah. And, like, you know, uh, move. Because she, I think she wants to be, what, remember when Dumas, Dumas, the first day, I think it was like Monday, came out with Raquel, uh, a tip that Raquel's strategy was going to be that, like, Tom manipulated her. And, oh, yeah. you know, so I think she probably needs to have, like, plausible deniability that yes, this was, like, he she was taken advantage of because She's manipulative. That's really what's true is that, to your point, like, she doesn't care about these people at all. They clearly care about each other, whether mm. they act like what the traditional view of that would look like for friends is another question. But they clearly do have a real bond and her coming in, she doesn't have it. So she doesn't understand boundaries. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that always shows whenever there's an ancillary castmate that's not part of the organic friend group. It just doesn't quite mesh. And I don't know. I mean, do you think – I feel like I 
I focus too much on Raquel, but like, and I feel like the, we're all like the media, everything. We're so, I think we're all surprised by Raquel because she kind of came out of nowhere. She was so meek and mild mannered. She just wasn't a central character mm-hmm. of all the people that would be like the, you know, positioned as the tropey, like temptress. You're kind of like, oh, she just seemed so like in the background. But then I think with Tom Sandoval, Kristen said she thinks there's going to be a lot of stuff to come out about him with other people and that he's just kind of been doing stuff like this the whole time. And to me, he just kind of has major nice guy syndrome where he he feels owed something and he feels justified in this choice because maybe he and Ariana are having a hard time. And instead of being a partner, he just feels bad for himself. Totally. I I completely agree that Sandoval will end up looking increasingly bad as we learn Mm -hmm. more things. But I think in the direct aftermath, Let's say we let's say it had just been a headline that Sandoval was hooking up with a random person. I don't yeah. it would just be like, oh, classic. We knew he had it in him. It's the way it's the fact that it was with Raquel and the way he went about this affair with Raquel is why I think she's such a focus because she had to go along with it. Like she had to go along right. with hooking up behind her cast member slash this girl she was becoming close to it, close with this season. Right. And I don't know. I think there's something psychological because this isn't the only instance of like a woman becoming very close with the partner of the man they're sleeping with. Like that is kind of a thing. And I think almost, you know, she's a pageant girl. She's used to sort of competing. I kind of feel like she wanted to like mm. force Sandoval to see this like comparison of the two of them where it's like, it's like this proximity is part of the turn on. It's so spooky. It's kind of like when somebody dies young, you're like, how do they die? You're like, can this happen to me? You're like, how can the person that's one of your best friends in your house who's also close with your partner do this under your nose and you have no idea? You're almost like, whenever somebody's blindsided, I think it like triggers our fight or flight of like, you had no idea. And because that's something that could ever happen to me or anybody I love because it's it's so cruel and it's so it's just I don't know I I don't like the overuse of this word it's just sociopathic behavior and uh she's so innocent seeming it's both both her and Tom I think are able to put on a facade of exactly who they want to appear as that like I just couldn't cut through as a viewer and um, I am surprised that Ariana getting closer to her couldn't see through that as well. And I can you imagine how Sheena must have felt like her best friend and, and the, the nonchalance that allegedly Raquel said the seven month affair with? I'm sure she snapped. I mean, there, there is something really enraging about that sort of nonchalance that we're now starting to see more in her character, like in front of Katie's mom. Yeah, it's bizarre. Before we move on to um, a different love triangle that we need to discuss. Do you have any, like, final theories on when this really started? You brought up a good point in your article about, like, why why the hell would he pay for half of her engagement? Like, th- there is almost something so nefarious about the way it went down. You could see that Tom, Tom doing the same thing with her and James and wanting to maintain proximity because Tom and James were oddly close that season. So that would be interesting if something happened there. Kristen said it was at Coachella and that Raquel had one of her friends like plant on Reddit that she made out with Tom Schwartz, not Tom Sandoval. Um, Do you still think it happened earlier than that? I, you know, it's interesting. Well, if now that I'm hearing that she had a friend do it, plant it. I don't know. I just feel like the, you always find out that there was like something before. Like, whenever someone yeah. wants to, like, date an affair, they usually are dating it to – maybe they can, like, have some plausible thing. Like, that was our first kiss or our first time having sex. Like, you know, whatever it is. But the idea of the affair has to, like, right. significantly predate. Unless it is just, like, a random hookup at the Golden Nugget. You know, the idea of the affair has to right. percolate from something. And who knows what that Ever really since. Was. Ever since Miami girl, it sounds like he's been che- – I mean, I, the way I, I kind of glossed over that in my mind too, like clearly he was guilty. He ran away. But Kristen is the one that looked so unhinged for flying her out. But she was right. And so, yeah, I mean, I, this must be behavior that's a real through line. And I thought what Lisa said on Watch What Happens Live was interesting. She said that she thinks that they had a plan um, – 
like, you know, they've been together for seven months, they were in love, and they had a plan to just get through the reunion, and then figure out how to, you know, have their worlds fall apart. But like, right down to the wire two weeks before, they like, I really don't think they saw this coming. And I think that they thought they would emerge, you know, unscathed from the season and then just be able to deal with this without the cameras on. I agree with that. I was pretty surprised Lisa said that. Um, I was surprised she drinks rosé with Lizzo regularly. I know. I'm so jealous. That would be a great podcast. I haven't been so enamored by a relationship like that since like J-Law and Kris Jenner. I love an unlikely duo of an older uh, reality mentor and another legitimate star. (laughs) Right. Right. I would just, I, you could see that they could appreciate each other. Yes. I would, that is my dream blunt rotation, but not blunt wine rotation. Wait, can we also talk about how Lisa doesn't invest in the women's business? Oh my but- God. <sighs> yeah. It's sort of like you think back and you're like, why did she pick them in the beginning to be the like faces of her new business not that i think they're getting all such a great deal to be honest but why them and not the women i know i think the toms have a brand because of their names because they have a brand because she helped them get it or that's a good point that's a good point they were sort of like at a time i think they were regarded as like the less lesser of the assholes no one would dine at like a breakfast joint called Flapjacks or like if it was Jax's name on it, like nobody would care. I don't know. I, I don't know. There are people I, who donate to Kyle Rittenhouse. You're right. I think people would frequent a, at least a food truck of Jax's. <laughs> food truck. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. I, and I think that he doesn't seem Tom Schwartz and Sandoval could maybe pretend they had a level of savviness that Jax can't feign. That's true, but. Why do you need to feign your level of savviness if you're literally just like the name? It's interesting I, because I know. Tom Tom would not exist without Tom and Tom. And yet they get like what appears to be like a pretty shitty end of the deal. Mm-hmm. Even though I know they're not putting up the money and there's like a whole question of like the cap table of the business. There would be no business if they didn't right. exist. So I don't know. Not that I need to be defending them and their financial situation, but – it's very chicken or the egg or kind of, you know, at, when you give someone their start, at what point do you stop taking credit, taking a cut? It's like, they I feel like they're, all very, they're indebted to Lisa in a way that they've held their own, the whole cast for a decade now that most reality shows can't because they've lived out their lives in inherent drama on TV in a way that's very, you know, to a degree sacrificial. But, you know, Lisa just... I don't know, like even Katie saying last night, I guess I'll have to give her my first born now because if she finds this location, I'm like, I swear if Lisa tries to take a cut for finding Elise. No, she's not trying so to take angry. She said She said last night she doesn't want to be in business with all oh, of them. Oh, that's right. And I'm like, okay, I see. I think that's probably a good thing in Katie's case now, in Katie and Ariana's case. But like, why didn't you think, why didn't they get a business five years ago? Oh, I know. I I can totally see Lisa being a guy's girl. She is. <laughs> she was funny last night. She was funny. It's interesting. It was, I mean, I loved it. I literally texted Aileen, like, or maybe I texted this to my mother and something else to Aileen. But, like, this is the Lisa Vanderpump that, like, I fell in love with. The, mm. like, you'll say anything, making, I mean, I do think she was a little flippant with some things, but I thought it was really entertaining. And... I don't know. It definitely felt like she was doing more PR for herself than for the show. Yeah, because ever since she got off, she left Beverly Hills. Vanderpump wasn't good anymore. I didn't put any thought into Lisa whatsoever. Vanderpump dogs flopped. And she's last night felt very much like I'm it felt like a reentry. She knows her renaissance is about to come. She'll probably be back on Beverly Hills. Totally. She was like joking that, you know, she got got to get rid of Kyle. I know. Although I, wa- I don't want to see her come on if Kyle's not there. Me neither. This is what gets – this is what frustrates me is, like, as a viewer, I understand that these riffs are very real, but it's just not worth it to have to tiptoe around it, have people explain it. If, if Raquel – so we know pretty much that Raquel and Sheena can't be in the same room at the reunion, mm-hmm. right? Which is frustrating. Who knows what will – ensue they might be like you have to appear digitally 
Not that that like, it's never the same. It's never the same. I was listening to Radio Andy during my, you know, 14 hours a day of coverage on this issue. (laughs) And he was like, we'll find a way, you know, regardless of how we need to do it, we'll find a way. But I think they have to be in like the circle. Or what is it? Is the circle the one where they are in their own uh, room? Love is blind. The, love is the blind. Yeah. Love in a storage unit. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I I hope that we get what we need from that. I just, I need either Tom or Raquel. Like, I think Sheena should phone in and I need Tom and Raquel to be in the, in the room. In-person tension is is so much more challenging as a human being, I would hope. I agree. And, and Sheena doesn't like need to face the music. No. They need to face the music. If anything, Sheena probably can't say much if there's like legal proceedings involved. That's a good point. She might have screwed herself with that one, Raquel. But I don't know. It really remains to be seen. We will keep covering this very important issue, like you said. (laughs) I know sometimes our audience does not like when we talk about Bravo. This is in the New York Times. This is at the top of the CNN bar. You know, we frequently cover issues that are covered on CNN here. So we're going to keep covering this one. It's unfolding in real time. It's hard not to. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. I've been to therapy for many years, and whenever I have a problem that I just can't seem to wrap my head about, if I have intrusive thoughts or I have something I just like I'm avoiding, I always go to therapy because I know my therapist can help me work through the issue come out on the other side and just leave the session feeling like everything's going to be okay. Nothing has transformed my life quite as much as my therapy experience. I can't recommend therapy enough and BetterHelp is a great way into it. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Betches today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Betches. Ready to redefine your relationship with alcohol? Whether you're trying to cut back or just want to explore a non-alcoholic alternative, Athletic Brewing is a game changer. They offer a variety of different full-flavored brews with no alcohol, allowing you to sip and celebrate anytime and anywhere. Do you like hazy IPAs, sweet, fruity sours? Athletic Brewing has an assortment of non-alcoholic beers in almost any style you can think of. One thing I really like is a great Sunday brunch. And sometimes, you know, you kind of want to have a drink during it. But also it's Sunday and you kind of want to get your life together. That's the perfect occasion to have an Athletic Brew non-alcoholic beer. Athletic brews a variety of great tasting, award-winning non-alcoholic beers, including IPAs, Goldens, Extra Dark Brews, Sours, Hazies, and more, many of which are only available online and for a limited time. They offer hassle-free delivery right to your door when you order at athleticbrewing.com. Athletic Brews Bevs, you can drink anytime, anywhere, and still go right back to whatever you were doing. It's a great fit for parenting, playing sports, watching sports, doing chores, late nights, and early mornings, so you can imbibe without worry. When you support Athletic, you support a company that cares. They're a certified B Corp and donate up to $2 million annually to protect and restore outdoor spaces around the globe through the Two for the Trails program. Try Athletic Brewing non-alcoholic beers for yourself. Use code BETCHES to get 15% off your first order at athleticbrewing.com. That's B-E-T-C-H-E-S at checkout for 15% off your first order. Near beer. Exclusions and conditions apply. Athletic Brewing Company. Fit for all times. All right. The next thing we got to talk about is the TikTok grassroots movement around Justin Bieber, Haley Bieber, and Selena Gomez. Kate, have you been have you been following this, this trio? I thought I was until you told me you did about 100 video deep dive. And you know you're in it when you're watching videos with like 49 likes. And I I need to hear more about what you uncovered. But yes, I'm involved. Maybe not as much as you. (laughs) Okay, these were very, these are actually very liked video, very well liked videos. And I do need to credit the creator um, who, whose videos I've been watching for like days straight. Her handle is at Young Kales, K-A-L-E-Z. She's actually an astrologer, but then she... (laughs) Kate's dying. Sorry. <laughs> I know, I know. But like literally she's a professional astrologer. She's great. Like her voice is so incredibly soothing. Just, you know, if anyone – she should be doing calms to be honest. Like she should be reading calm – what are they called? Meditations. Like ASMR. Um, yeah. She could do that. So she is an astrologer by trade, but she's also very – she used to be like a Bieber stan when she was young. So she has like years of – 
uh, institutional knowledge, we could call mm. it, about this, you know, the Haley Selena backstory. So as we know, they had that whole TikTok uh, scuffle where Haley kind of Kaylee's always doing this like plausible deniability thing where they're like posting like their eyebrows. We explained this on a past podcast what Mm -hmm. exactly happened. So that's for the, you know, just for the sake of the situation. So it seems that through that situation, a kind of like TikTok movement pointing out that Haley Bieber is a mean girl has emerged. And it has definitely come to be a lot of bullying of Haley, but that's not like why I want to be here right now. But I think that there is so much to actually unpack here because Haley Bieber is chronically online and has been since she was like 13 years old. So last week we were talking about how these two like friend groups like Selena Taylor versus like the Kendall, Haley, Kylie's of it all. And when you actually like look at this situation historically, Haley Bieber has a long established pattern of like subtweeting someone in a mean but very purposeful way, deleting it, and then gaslighting everyone and being like, what are you talking about? Like, everyone just takes this shit so seriously. Like, it was just a post. She's been doing this, I didn't even realize, since she was, like, 15 years old in the Bieber stand crew. She used to have, like, questionable, like, burner accounts where she would, like, tweet about herself. And look, I... I'm, I don't really care who he's with. <laughs> but going back and seeing this history and the fact that there's she's still doing this stuff and like pulling this like plausible deniability thing is just so it I really felt that we had to revisit it here because it's annoying to me. So do you think the I'm not saying she deserved it, but I'm saying God's timing is always right. That sound that was around the time of people body shaming Selena. Do you think that was a subtweet? Yes. I'm saying that like having now done this deep dive into things that she's done in the past, I'm actually more convinced that all that stuff is purposeful. And the eyebrow FaceTime thing, that's also, she has been doing this since she was a teenager. Like this has been her MO is to kind of be like chronically online and unafraid to to put things out there. I mean, it's just the context of that subtweet is so mean. And making fun of her eyebrow, it's just, it really is unsettling behavior that's that's like, ugh. Leave her, and Sel- the joke is Selena's just, the, to have that kind of um, audacity and it's like Selena's a huge star. It doesn't need your approval to like kind of, subtly troll her online is just so unnecessary and to think people won't pick up on it I guess that's what I'm confused by like does she every single time legitimately think no one's gonna understand this or does she do it with nefarious intentions being like this is gonna draw attention to I think she does it so that she can garner attention and then gaslight people into being like what are you talking about like I'm just like posting because I remember when Selena came out with lose you to love me and then she Mm. literally like that moment posted a screenshot of listening to the song I'll kill you (laughs) it's just there's (laughs) that's not a subtweet it's an overt tweet (laughs) but she then was like no like it wasn't about that yeah to do it Selena I'm a such a fan She's been doing this a long time, and now I can't really, like, see anything that Hailey Bieber does without this context. I that, I need to do that deep dive with the astrologer believer, believer hi- hybrid because the, the videos I was getting lost in that kind of made this situation, it kind of in, it, it invalidated it a bit for me, were people getting caught up in this tiny coincidences from like 2016, Betch has made a really funny video about this, of things that like young people do, like make videos or use photo booth or like, you know, the tattoo is weird, but it's connected to the same guy whose daughter was sick in the, you know, Hillsong cult of it all. Um, And I think what you're saying is really interesting. And it makes Selena kind of ill-equipped because when you think about Haley Bieber, she was raised by the internet. Selena was a child star. Selena wasn't using the internet like, Haley was and it kind of speaks to her Selena I don't know she just seems really uh sweet and like not deserving of it 
And I don't think she knows how to play the game because Selena keeps misstepping and commenting and being like, I don't let it get to me or it's cool. And you would almost want her to know better. Whereas like Haley seems to know better and play the game. Honestly, I don't know. I think it really depends. Like, you're right. I think Haley probably plays the game better to the average observer. Yeah. But if you like really know what's going on, I think Selena is playing the game well because she's playing like playing it off. Like, I'm not going to take her bully. I'm not going to like get baited by her bullying so I can get further Mm. gaslit that she wasn't even doing anything. To your point about her being raised by the Internet, it's not just that she was raised by the Internet, but this there's a lot of branches of this deep dive I just brought up that one about her like her tendency to to go about things on the internet that way and it's like you're saying oh I was in this hole where someone from 2016 pulled out this one little thing and it's like yeah that sounds ridiculous but when you actually look at how she kind of conducts herself on the internet it is relevant because it's like her mo because when you think about Haley, especially in the context of these other people she was around she was The rest of them had like a talent or a career direction. You know, Justine Skye, uh, like Kendall, like they all had a, they had something they were doing, you know. Mm -hmm. She didn't really have anything she was doing. Her dad had like serious financial troubles. And I think that she like needed a direction. But I think in reality, she was kind of like just associating because she was never a big model. You know, like Gigi. I think that her thing was kind of like banking off associating with these other people and being like pretty, you know? Right. And and Haley Bieber's star power coming off that is considerably uh, higher than like a Stassi baby when they were kind of in the same situation. And and Justin kind of, I think, was a major coefficient in that. And and honestly, when I was looking through a lot of these videos, I was thinking of the Taylor Swift song Mastermind, because, you know, you go back to, two, you know, Justin saying he met Haley in 2009 because Haley's dad thought he was like a nice church kid and wanted them to meet when they were really young. And he and brought it, her to like a million meet and greets. Yes. And then he jokingly says it was an arranged marriage on Ellen. That, and I know that's something people were kind of holding on to. But when you think about it, it's like maybe none of it was accidental. Like, has she been engineering this from 2009 and then kind of leveraging the purity culture of it all to get married really fast? And you can do that by withholding sex from somebody who's being compliant in that universe. Like, it's pretty interesting. That's another branch, a whole other branch. And you would, you particularly would really like this deep dive because this that is another branch of it, like the religious manipulation of it all. And this is like way too much for right now, but like it goes into how Selena, when she was with Hillsong, Justin was like heavily leaning on Carl Lentz and basically seems like Selena was also trying to like kind of use the church to like lock him down. Because when you think about it, like marriage is the goal that they were both trying to get to. Right. So there's a whole branch of this video series where she talks about like the Hillsong of it all and then switching to church home. And yeah, your point about like, when religion is sort of the framework that you're looking at these decisions through, it is very clear because you remember that Vogue interview where they're like, marriage is like so hard after they were married for like, they very didn't even have their- <laughs> It's so weird because I don't know, like if someone asked me, is marriage hard? I would say yes. But if someone asked, how is your marriage? The first thing I would not, I would say would not be, it's a lot of work. And I think it's very telling that these people who are married for like two months, six months, however long it was, were already having never dated as quite as seriously as Selena and Justin had. They're like first starting and there was a lot of like controversy in those early months with him like crying or, you mm-hmm. know. So, yeah, I don't know. I just think taking all of this evidence together about their marriage and about the way that Haley kind of uses the internet to get people on her side, to create a certain image about them. It, not all, all is not well in Beaverville. I think there's a lot more conflict and insecurity than, than the photos would have us believe. But to your point about it being an arranged marriage, how strongly do you think that is like, you know, kind of him slipping the truth in there? I think that, you know, I think that in, religious circles, 
especially growing up in like a very biblical patriarchal situation where she probably reveres the opinion and input of her father. If he implanted that in her head in 2009 and kind of orchestrated their meeting and their meet and greets, it's possible that she was laser focused on kind of making this fantasy come true and really thought they were like meant to be together. And I could see that her taking the steps and attempting to gain the proximity to be with him or to make it happen formally arranged maybe not i think the most arranged thing would probably be the intervention of like a hill song at the time pressuring them to get married quickly once haley came into his life and perhaps was a stabilizing figure you know i remember not carl lentz but the other one that married courtney kardashian um saying on a podcast that they were like we hope it's haley like when he like found oh, the judah, one judah judah Oh, Judas yeah. Smith. Maybe it's not the guy that married Courtney, but some other religious figure in these he circles. He ended up marrying them. Yes. And it, that was, I thought that was a weird thing to say, like, please be Haley. Please be Haley. It, there were a lot of outside influences, I think, pushing him toward her. Uh, and I think that her having the longevity in the religious realm probably made her position herself well as like a stable, ideal partner. And I could totally see that happening. They got married after two months. Wasn't it two months? It was very, very fast. And that seems like very church influence to me. Yeah, because he had said that he was in a period of self-imposed celibacy. And it right. all sort of, it all sort of gives the uh, – it kind of reminds me of like when you're younger at camp and it's like so-and-so like likes you. And like, you know, your friends are sort of like engineering or in a sorority where it's like the group around you is very heavily involved in your own – personal uh relationship but these are two people who are the biggest stars in america and they got married because of that interference it, it, and carl lentz's involvement even i know raquel and selena are good friends but raquel's mom is like the head of past or was the head of pastoral services at hillsong they develop these really in-depth friendships with people involved with their church organizations. And to me, the Carl Lentz types read as like a Scientology handler. Oh, absolutely. And then they're paying 10% because that's what God said they have to do. But Carl Lentz like had Justin cancel the Purpose World Tour, which would affect his tithe. It's all very confusing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I So I think it was masterminded maybe subtly by Haley and then actually orchestrated by the church at the tail end. I agree. And we're going to keep watching for clues. So stay tuned. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I'm Betch's co-founder, Aileen. And as you may know, we have been in the media game for a minute. And between meetings, podcasting, dinners, etc., I need a wardrobe that works with me, not against me. And that's why Lee is a staple in my wardrobe. I recently got this white jacket, jean jacket from Lee, and I got their button down. I must say that the quality is very, very good because when you wear a button down, it is very difficult to find one that doesn't kind of come apart. And this one is not only very soft and comfortable, like I can move my arms around, but I really, really like it. It just looks really cute. And it's like Western, Western's so in right now. And then I also love the white jacket I got. It's like off white, but it has this blue stitching and it's like, I'm gonna wear it over the shoulders, perhaps on my vacation. I'm just really into it. And Denim trends come and go, but Lee is legendary for creating denim cuts that fit your body. Their denim gets better with age and their classics fit into every look. Lee's denim jacket is the one to reach for without fail. It's a classic. The Ryder jean jacket is the OG and what every other brand has copied for decades. Everyone is an icon in their own right and Lee makes denim so people can own their style and feel good in their clothes. Their spring collection is here, so get the freshest looks and cuts before anyone else. You can find your Lee fits by visiting lee.com, that's L-E-E dot com, that's L-E-E dot com to shop spring looks now. All right, Kate, what else is going on this week? Did you happen to catch the Chris Rock Netflix special? I watched the first 20, 25 minutes, and then I fell asleep. I didn't watch it live, which apparently was an experience. Yeah, it's never a good sign when you fall asleep 25 minutes into a comedy special. <laughs> um, yeah, you're a late a late 
person too. So it's especially a bad sign. I, I know. I, you know, I kind of disengaged at the beginning. Obviously, Chris Rock is like a legend, but it was very predictable to do a set on, you know, his gripes with wokeness and, yeah. uh, you know, kind of insult the internet and social media and then reality TV. And I was like, okay, you know, I was kind of looking for something new. And I think I disengaged a bit. I agree. I find comedy based around how you can't say anything comedic when you're on Netflix or playing Madison Square Garden, let's say. I find it so annoying that they these people who have these moments choose to use them to talk about how they can't say anything. It's just like, we get it. It's like, it's it's kind of like hearing rich people complain about taxes. It's yeah. like, okay. No one cares about your fucking taxes. Like, you're very rich. You know, it just seems it's so annoying because it's like, can you just just talk about something else then? It just feels so tired to me as a like a, a thesis. Right. And it just I think my read on it, too, is like he's not really a participant in Internet culture. He's not a participant in the discourse he's criticizing. And you know, when people completely write it off as a monolith, you're like, well, some of the thoughtful discussion and, and correction of behavior is worth it. It makes it for safer spaces and in an inclusive world. But like, yeah, he he's just kind of it seemed condescending because he's not a part of it. And he was just commenting on how everybody else behaves, but not him. And it's funnier, I think, when you're kind of in it and self-aware and part of it. And I just I don't know, it felt like I, this overused term, but a bit like out of touch. But who's surprised? I mean, he's a huge star. <laughs> right. No, I totally I agree with you. It's it's different when you are on the Internet and you engage like you like Chelsea Handler or Amy Schumer. They like are engaged in the Internet. They are putting themselves at risk, so to speak, when they post things, you know. And so they're the ones who are actually experiencing that rather than Chris Rock, who does not need to perform at all if he doesn't want to. I mean, I've always really thought Chris Rock was one just so funny. I've and there are parts of this of this special that I thought were really funny, but I kind of feel that like because he couched the whole thing in this thesis of you can't say anything, it just kind of like takes it all down like an energetic notch for me. As opposed to like, let's say he led with like the other segments, and then you make I get lit like. There's a question of like, ooh, you can't say anything. Like, so making a comment about that, making a funny joke within about that, right? Can I think play so much more like clever than making yourself the victim who can't say anything, who only has this huge Netflix special where he can't say anything? People are allowed to be mad at you. People are allowed to say, I do not demand what you're supplying anymore. So I'm not going to buy your thing or see your show. So it's just so annoying when that becomes like the center of the conversation to me. Because he would experience no real consequences, first of all. <laughs> like, right. Even if he did say something, people were mad. But yeah, he I got thought, slapped at the Oscars. So, right. And uh, well, I need you to tell me about that because I didn't see it. But the last part I saw that I thought was funny was him talking about the royals being the OGs of racism. Yeah. That, that whole bit was pretty funny. Um, but after that, I, I tuned out. So he kind of didn't he. Everybody was kind of waiting for him to get to the slap, and it was at the tail end. Yeah, it was the last uh, section. Um, I was, I thought, actually thought the funniest part was him making fun of the royals for being like the OGs of racism, and like how could she not know? I mean, I kind of get how she couldn't know, how she didn't know, but I did feel like she didn't know like the deep history of colonialism. Like I believe <laughs> they invented that invented colonialism. Yeah, <laughs> but I believe that she maybe that wasn't prominent in her head. I can buy that, but. Come on. I, I thought that was just such a fucking funny section. I also it was a different about, angle on Meghan Markle mockery that I appreciated. Agreed. Agreed. And just a really funny one. Um, and then the – okay, so at the slap, I'm, I'm going to – I watched it like a week ago so that my brain is filled with Sandoval. But he started by saying like I was a huge fan of Will Smith. Like I watched his show like all the time. Then the next part of his section is how he felt that – Will Smith really did 
slapped him because he was ultimately like very mad about how at the time everyone was kind of talking about his open relationship with Jada Pinkett Smith and she went on Red Table Talk. And there was also another comment that Jada Pinkett Smith had essentially made that like Chris Rock shouldn't be hosting the Oscars because Will Smith wasn't nominated. And this was like in the past. So Chris Rock is basically saying they started with me. I made a joke and Will Smith, because he doesn't feel like he can take out his frustration on everybody else. He's saying, I'm a small guy. I'm much smaller than Will Smith. So he got up and he slapped me. And that was essentially Chris Rock's like retelling of the slap. Um, he called him a bitch several times, which was, you know, that was emphasized. Um, but I don't know. It was I do feel that maybe the, the, the loop is finally closed, at least. Mm. So he was saying it's not about what it's about or like what we all thought it was about. The specific yeah. thing he said on stage. Yeah. Yeah, that it was like a a straw that broke the camel's back kind of situation. So was he delivering a punchline in that? Will Smith or Chris Rock? Chris Rock. Yes, but like I don't remember them anymore because I, you know, it was more like I was so, so focused on. Oh, oh, oh okay. Yeah. Oh. Okay, I'll say. He's tying it into his he's tying it into his his title. Okay. You asked me about the punchline. Yeah, there were jokes within it, but I think his main point is he was trying to say that Will Smith practices selective outrage, which was the title of the special, because he got really mad at Chris Rock when all of these other people were making these comments and that it's sort of like emblematic of his greater point that like everyone's mad about this thing or that thing. Oh, there was actually a part I thought was really funny about the racist yoga pants. <laughs> oh, yeah. I did see that part. <laughs> that was funny. He, and I'm like, do you really shop at Lululemon? But his point was like, I need to know if your pants are moisture wicking, not that if you disport, support sexism and discrimination. Right. And there was another thing about like one, a company that donates like 250, donates to, they give back with like a car. And he was like, well, you could also just like lease me the car for two fifty less. Right, <laughs> Buy my right. favorite charity. I thought I thought that was all really like clever, funny. Um, but yeah. there so there were parts that I thought were really funny. I think he had a lot of like good jokes in it. But you know, people are mad as they usually are. I was reading about because um, I was kind of interested in the format because that was the first time Netflix had done a live comedy special with like a waiting room and they had a panel before and a panel after. And I think it was the Vulture review. They were saying normally that special probably would have been sharp if it had been filmed over the course of several shows and edited together for the best delivery, the best audience response. And it would have read totally differently. But live comedy shows are very different than like recorded specials. And it was hard to feel the energy in the room because they weren't getting the best of every single bit. That's actually a really good point on the production end. Um, and I wonder if it would have like moved faster if if uh, oh, th they had I done that. I think so. Do they ever do that with other people's comedy specials? Mm -mm. I think they were piloting with like one of the biggest of all time. No, I mean, do they ever cut people's to get like multiple performances together? Is That's that what I think in some cases. Sometimes there's one filming, but even if it, they just film it once, they're cutting dead space, cutting dead air. They can sweeten the, the laugh track. Oh, oh my God. Wow. Tricks of the trade that I do not know. <laughs> no, I mean, it makes sense. Why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they sweeten the laugh track? All right. Before we close out, the Oscars are this weekend. Um, I used to be a huge Oscars person, Oscar stan, you could say. Now I'm like, I watched a few of the movies. Um, everyone's talking about everything everywhere all at once. I have not seen it. It sounds like an overwhelming film. I know you've seen it. So, and I know a lot of, a lot of people have seen it except me. Can you, like, tell me why this is the favorite to win? I think it's the only movie I saw in theaters last year, actually, because I was seeing such positive reviews of it. And it's usually not my cup of tea. It's it's a movie that kind of blends uh, sci-fi and comedy and a heartwarming family story with this in this, like, impossible, fantastic multiverse that does seem overwhelming at face value. But the ultimate message is quite simple, and it kind of examines a person who's really in an unexciting place in their life wishing that they had or believing that they could have done more if they had made different decisions. And it kind of shows the outcome of every small decision you make and almost explores this idea of like, there could be any outcome 
in any scenario at any given time. So therefore, it's all kind of meaningless. But due to that, you should be present in the moment and the people around you in the present moment are what gives life meaning, not the woulda, coulda, shouldas happening all around us. And it's this beautiful, deeper message. I wept during the film of a multiverse, not in the context of like what could have been, but that I'm fine where I am, even though you previously thought you were in the worst place possible. And it's just a really beautiful message wrapped in an interesting, well-told, low-budget sci-fi story with incredible acting. And it, it absolutely deserves the hype. I feel that your explanation of that just took me on such a roller coaster that I – the whole thing feels way – very existential for me. The the title, the way you just described it, the and, lesson. And, and, yes, you're right. The title even is like, well, it's about everything, everywhere, all, all at once. And it is. That's and why when I are watching, Yeah. When you're watching it, it can be overwhelming. But the, the ultimate message is really special and I think relevant to the times we're in. And I, I don't want to like spoil it in case anybody's watching it, but like I just think that these the the cast and the story, it's the right time and it deserves the hype. And other than that and Banshees, I haven't seen any of the other nominees. And I think everything everywhere is kind of the favorite. Yeah, I I guess I could watch it. Um I think you should. Okay. You think I'd like it. What do you think of Banshees? It's deeply depressing, but it's an interesting uh, – I think it's an interesting plot to explore the fallout of a male friendship. It's not a breakup. It's right. it's a almost – it cuts deeper when two friends fall out. And uh, I thought it was – I mean, it was really depressing. It's not like a good time movie, but I thought it was well done. And I did like the directors on directors with Taylor Swift and the director of Banshees. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, I might give that another try. I started it, but like I started it at two in the morning when Jordan and I were in Australia, which is probably not the best time. And then I re- ended up reading like the Wikipedia of the plot. And I was like, I don't really want to see those finger things. So I'm just going to turn it off. I do the same thing. I've been Cliff's noting since <laughs> high school with movies same. now too. So it the helps. Oscar noms are so... They're, they're, like you said, they can be existential, they can be historic, like, they're oftentimes topics that are a lot to take on or an emotional roller coaster. I'm not really up for going through. So we have so much of that in our real lives. So much. And and I was I was like, when's the last time I cared about the Oscars? And remember, like the heyday of 2010, it was like, blindside and education and glorious bastards. Like, it, it was a time when I had seen everything that was nominated. And I would watch with bated breath, or like up in the air. That kind of era. And and now I don't know why I've disengaged in a big way. Because I think there aren't as many like really good movies. So you're you're not like you don't have a horse in this race, you know, <laughs> is kind know. of what it is. It's and, and also it's a less fun ceremony, although it's the most serious. So that gave it its own level of fun. It's less fun inherently than like the Golden Globes or the SAC Awards or the Grammys. Like it's just not as uh, – entertainment oriented and the movies that are now part of the Oscars are very they're very like Oscar baity and they're also they're just not like for us you know I know I've always wanted an award show that's like critically okay stuff people actually watch because the good the good bad <laughs> awards yes yes and I think that's what people choice wanted but that's even rigged like I, I just I don't know like let's we could just make our own and that's the award show. <laughs> Truly. Like, what, what's what been more fun this year? You know, talking about the the sound bites in Spare, the Vanderpump <laughs> Rules drama, Haley Bieber, like the the pocket, I used to call them flashes in the pandemic. Like, the, the ways we're <laughs> obsessed with something for four or five days, I think, are a really funny part of culture right now. Well, you know what I actually tried to start last year and tried to start again this year, but forgot? It was going to be a running list of what was like the zeitgeisty topic every day. And then at the end of the year, I was going to make a compilation. But last year, I stopped after like February. And this year, I told myself I'd start. And then I didn't. Because there weren't really moments, I think, for the first few days of the year. So I know what you're talking about. I just love the feeling of unity we get when we're all (laughs) talking about the same thing. I know. And what's so hard about like the Scandaval is it's at the someone else's expense. But hopefully Ariana feels rallied around. She reactivated her social media as of this morning. So I'm thinking that she is feeling the love and support. Good, good. She deserves it. The fact that there's even a team Ariana hashtag is baffling to me. It's like, what other team is there? There's no other team. I know. It's kind of like, uh, you it's know, like virtue signaling. It's right. 
yes, it, it's that I there was even back in the day, like no one was team Heigl. Like the, there's always like a villain. Like n- nobody's ever on their team. They're just like ousted. Right. Um, but I feel like in this case, it's not Elsie, Kristen. It's not people that have their plight. It's a person that really messed up in a big way, and a and a person who's an actual victim. Totally, you're so right. Well, I think this is a good place to end. This has been so much fun doing this with you. Um, can you tell everybody where they can find you? I'm a listener of your podcast, but you have so much more going on than that. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me. First of all, and you can find me on Instagram at be there in five. My podcast is the Be There in Five podcast. Wherever you listen to podcasts weekly, and. Uh, You'll have to come back on my pod sometime, especially after you watch everything everywhere all at once. I love an existential convo with Sammy. I want nothing more. Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) That – I mean, Kate just does the best deep dives and she has a book coming out soon. Watch for that announcement. And in the meantime, let us know what you thought. Aileen and Jordana will be back next week. Hopefully, there will still be more to debrief on the scandal with them. In the meantime, be sure to rate, review, and follow the show on Apple and Spotify. And we will talk to you next week on the App Betches podcast. App Betches is produced by Sean Kilby, Jorge Morales-Picot, Rebecca Sosmacat, and Aliza Zim. Editing by Basilio Perez. Be sure to follow App Betches on Instagram and send us your emails to podcast at betches.com. Betches.